We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. And on Wednesday night, we had this really cool event with the, the team where they showed a showing of the first two episodes of Legacy, which is the new Lakers documentary that's coming out on Hulu starting on Monday. And so in this episode, we're going to kind of talk about the the stories around the Lakers. There have been these two shows that have popped up. Uh, it's funny, D, I thought that, and, and perhaps to an extent this is true, I thought that Legacy kind of popped up as a, oh, no, 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 we want to tell our side of the story of it. And I think that's certainly part of it. But I was surprised by the first two episodes of it. I don't want to give much away, but we'll talk about it a bit. But we had Winning Time come out a few months ago, and I had waited to watch that for quite a while. And I picked it up about three weeks ago or so, and I'm about, I think, six episodes through the season. So not all the way done, but have watched enough of it to be able to talk about it. So I'd love to talk about the stories of the Lakers and how they've been kind of canonized in these two different shows. And that's something that strikes me as I get older is the story is what lives on from the past. And a lot of times it's like 80% true. If you're, if you're lucky, a lot of times it's not even that, but there are certain parts that just kind of fade away. And so I believe the stories that get told are very important because they are what lives on to the next generations that didn't get to witness it for themselves. So as people who were born at a time that really corresponds to the bus family and Showtime, I'd love to hear your thoughts, man, about these two shows and this idea of the stories that we pass on of the Lakers. First, can I just say that there's no other NBA franchise that is being documented like mm -hmm. this. Of course, we did have The Last Dance, which was done on Michael Jordan's Bulls. And mm. that let that pursuit of that final six championship in the lead up to an ultimate demise of that organization with Phil Jackson leaving and then Michael Jordan retiring and then mm -hmm. ultimately Scottie Pippen being traded, I think. Yes. Yeah. And so that was fantastic. And there was a lot of blunt honesty, at least from 
the perspective of Michael Jordan because he was the one who undertook that. But there's no other like, hey, there's no massive documentary series or half fiction, half like representation from like core reporting text on like the Boston Celtics, for example, Mm -hmm. or even like the New York Knicks. Like you'll find plenty of books on those subjects. We call the canonization of uh, the Boston Celtics just the regular NBA media for the last 40 years. But anyway, sorry, sorry. No, no, no. Continue. (laughs) (laughs) So I just wanted to say that up front. And I would imagine too that whether or not this was on the front of his mind, I would imagine that somewhere in the ether of ideas around what it would be like to own an NBA franchise in Los Angeles with the Hollywood connections and and everything else, Dr. Buss might have imagined a day like this coming, right, where where he might be fictionalized by a famous actor on (laughs) television or that if he had done enough right that the history of his organization, particularly the years in which after he had purchased the team, that they might be held up as some sort of standard bearer or even with all the drama mixed in, like just an adventure worth documenting for everyone else that would be entertaining in ways that go beyond just the success that was on the court, right? So before we even get to like what these shows are like, and I wasn't at the little preview, the sneak peek of the first Uh two episodes of Legacy, but I can tell you I was totally brought in by the trailer like stuff like that is made for me i feel like like oh hey mm-hmm. let's pick my brain yeah, i think say, you like, like oh like what would darius want to watch well yep let's bring in all of these dudes so at first i just wanted to say that and, and like what are your thoughts even just before we get into to the shows just about that general idea about like the the los angeles lakers and showtime and hollywood because I feel like there's no other organization in the league really that has tried to pair the the general sort sort of like like oh this is what we think they are like what outsiders would say might even be the bad parts about the organization but they embrace oh, yeah. they embrace that as a part of their ethos and a part of their identity and it sort of goes hand in hand so before we even talk talk about the shows like i think that's a that's an interesting subplot in in all of this is the way that the organization navigates this and then embraces it as well watching these has really given me a perspective of how much Dr. Buss was in an offensive posture a lot of times, like he would see what was not there and he was trying to create a feeling, a a vibe, right? He was trying to create a, an environment that was entertaining, that idea of, you know, highlighting the court, making the crowd go dark and uh, the, the Laker girls and the, we're going to raise the prices on the floor, right? That was something that they cover in Legacy is one of the things he did was, he's like, oh, I'm going to like quadruple the courtside seats in a time where we're not selling a ton of seats. It's like, you're crazy to do this, but drafting Magic Johnson certainly helps. Uh, and then having the MVP of the team, right? And it's, it's funny, so much of the story has a certain serendipity to it, but it, Reminds me of that phrase, you make your own luck. Yep. And that's why the that offensive posture that I think of with Dr. Buss is he would try things. He would fail at things. But that ability to pursue is something that is part of what the show was. It was part of what made the Lakers so entertaining was that we're – and we continue to kind of go for something. You know what I mean? 
And we will fall flat on our face as we did last year uh, at certain points, right? But it is that that pursuit and that kind of offensive posture that I think is um, really stands out to me and, and is what's so entertaining and made it a situation where it's uh, celebrities playing for celebrities. Let's talk about winning time first, because I've seen winning time. And I finished the series and a couple of weeks ago, there was stuff all over social media about how they are casting for a second season and the potential for there to be a multiple season run of this show where potentially even you go through the Showtime years and maybe even Mm -hmm. after the fact, like into the Kobe and Shaq years, because Jeff Perlman is the author of the book that then Winning Time is based off of. And he right. also wrote a book on the Kobe Shaq Phil Lakers. And I don't know if this is true or not, because I just saw something on social media about this months and months and months ago. But that that book was also optioned f- potentially for there to be a series on that. And so the idea that the Lakers could be fictionalized over the course of decades Winning time. You haven't finished the series, but what were your general mm-hmm. thoughts? Because I remember the hub of at the very beginning was like, oh, the portrayal of Jerry West mm-hmm. and just sort of the glitziness of it all. And, and like, oh, this seems like very fictitious. But then obviously it is based off of some pretty hard reporting that Jeff Perlman has mm-hmm. done. And Jeff Perlman's a look, he's a well-respected author. He's he's a journalist at heart. And so I don't I. I wouldn't go as far to say that every that things in his book are made up, but clearly there is some dramatization that said right in embellishment. Right. Yes. And and that's what made it interesting to me, too, is like knowing as a Lakers fan, like, oh, some of this is certainly overplayed some or put out there in in a way that is like, ah, maybe not so much. But it was fun nonetheless for me. So that's the thing is I think. Understanding it as an entertainment product up front is really important. Is it's not supposed to be all the way true. And I thought winning time so far has been a ton of fun uh, for several different reasons. I also understand, as I said uh, up top, how the story is what passes on to the next generation. And that's a difficult line to <laughs> that's a difficult line to uh to walk because in the places where you do take liberties for the sake of it being more entertaining and maybe you make someone a little bit more of something that, yeah, they had that personality trait, but you kind of, you know, put a little little extra sauce on it. Yes. Little, little cartoonish here, right? Like just to like make it so that, oh, this guy's a little bit more over the top and that makes him a more compelling character if it's not necessarily, even if all of that isn't necessarily in his character, right? Like all of that is a tricky line when you're making a tv show right because how is the audience supposed to know say you're 20 years old and you're watching this how are you supposed to know what's the real thing and what is that over the top type of representation so i totally get why the people involved and the characters portrayed some of them are like hey man what the hell you know (laughs) like jerry west for example is the nba logo is one of the greatest gms in history one of the greatest players in history and 40 years from now, what's going to be the surviving media of him? It's going to be probably more winning time than anything else. And I could see why that would that would rub me the wrong way. So I I totally get that. And one of the things that I liked about the first two episodes of Legacy was it it was pretty thorough, like in a season by season basis of like this happened this year and then this happened that year. 
much more a documentary, right? All of the people that you're talking to, these are the real people that were there for it. And there's no actor portrayal. There's none of that. There's no motivation to make it a little more entertaining. And I was really surprised by kind of how honest it was at certain parts in the parts where we do look bad and this is what it is. We're going to put it right in front of you. That's for you to to judge. And so that was something that stood out to me from the first two episodes. Mike, it seemed like we want to tell the story as we believe it happened. And I thought it was very honest in that respect. Good morning, Mike. Guys, I have no excuses. <laughs> All right. So backstory, we, we normally cut this sort of thing out. But uh, yeah, Mike, Mike uh, Mike's joining us a little a little late. He's coming off the bench today. Mike, Normally starting lineup, like God, easy starting lineup, that, but yeah. So you know that <laughs> meme of Sting watching from way above yeah. <laughs> yes. the wrestler Sting? And he's up there in his black leather coat and his, and his stark white painted face looking like the crow. And then he's like lowered down and then just drops into <laughs> the rig. That's how Mike just entered he just the showed room up right yeah. now. <laughs> Me and Pete were talking. Mike jumps on and he's just lurking. We don't even get to see his face because his camera's off. And then suddenly, yeah. so, suddenly he's just here. Boom. And here he just is. He emerges. Yes, yeah. He, yeah, he emerged. Yes. Yeah. Anyways, how you doing, Mike? Well, I, I didn't want to disrupt. I didn't want to disrupt the flow. And so I, I came in with no video, but then I realized I didn't mute the audio and I coughed. It was great. And then I saw the reaction to that. <laughs> I was like, oh, damn it. Then I hit the mute again real quick. Yeah, we, um, it's, it's the little man's birthday, second birthday today, Rick. Hey. So we, we went to Disney yesterday and it was about 90 something. And so we, we get, we get back and we're staying at a different house. And so Rick's is sleeping in our room, uh, uh, me and, uh, me and my wife. And so he, he, I mean, little man was up at, I don't even know what time it was. So we woke up, did all that. And then I, I, I laid, my wife was so kind to let me, get back in bed for what was supposed to be 20 minutes and then you know we've all been there man. no the dad sleep so there's the the, dad re-sleep now you but no but now you got to hear the dad the dog ate my homework uh excuse but i was like you know what they're probably in a nice rhythm but i'm just going to join see if i can drop in and 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 then you know here we are and so i i did hear some interesting chatter about winning time and about the uh, first two episodes of the uh the legacy show (laughs) so first of all happy birthday Riggs. Fourth man in the booth. He's not here yes. today, but but happy birthday, birthday Riggs. And then second of all, the IG post last night, Mike, with the family pic with Darth Vader and Riggs's look oh like. Oh my God, like, I was oh cracking my, up. Like this dude, and then the zoom in, if you haven't seen it, it still may be up on Mike's stories. You got to check that yeah, out. Because see. Riggs was like, okay. He was processing, I, yeah. man. He was like, am, am I, I about have to take his dude <laughs> yeah. on? Am I about to have to do some dirt right now? Like, yeah. like what are y'all doing? Is he friendly? Y'all just accepting him in? I'm skeptical. Right <laughs> yeah, that here. was part of it. He's like, why is no one else like bothered by this? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that was fantastic. I was, oh, I was loving the stories. So anyways, happy birthday, Riggs. Riggs is our dude. Yeah. Let's take a break. Come back. Get Trudell's thoughts on this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Mike, so where do you stand on these? Well, I'm I'm waiting until to start Legacy, uh, until we get back uh, from vacation, which will be Sunday. Um, so I did, and I am, uh, I mean, I'm curious, right? Like the, the chapter that I'm most familiar with, of course, starts when I started working for the Lakers. But as part of my job, as we've gone over before, I, I really dug deep into Lakers history. So this is going to be right up my alley. Um, I... In terms of winning time, I tried to. I think it's easy. You just you just hit on this beat before, where you know, if you're Jerry West or if you're somebody that doesn't love the portrayal, then I totally get that. For for those of us that aren't directly named in that context, then I think it's easier to set, to sort of step away, like we would any other piece of essentially historical fiction in some way, and just sort of appreciate it for what it is, not take it 100 literally, but at the same mm-hmm. time, be a little bit. Be a little bit wary of that uh, portrayal, but that's just how that's just how it is, right? There's no there's no work that's perfect uh, of of the past, and the thing that I always like the people that are in it, I think, will not appreciate this as much. But I had a phase where I was super into historical fiction uh, and books mm. uh, for the most part, and trying to read about. So, like, there's a book about Ireland, right? And, and so you essentially get to learn the entire history of Ireland. And yet then you get done with it and you have to kind of go back and do some fact checking oh, yeah. on top of it. So oh, yeah. basically you really have to trust the author, you know? Yep. And so if you trust the author, you know that they've obsessively done their work. Like if Kobe were to do a work of historical fiction and I got done with it, I'd be like, yeah, this dude probably was in the film yep. room, you know, watching. And, and so therefore that carries a little bit more weight. And so with winning time, you know, I don't, I don't know as much about the people that did it. Um, but I, I did feel like there was a lot that there was a lot that was represented, um, that happened like that, that I had read mm-hmm. or had heard anecdotally or, or talked to people about. So I did feel like they, they did a pretty good job of a lot of stuff with, well, clearly also taking liberties yes. in other spots. And since it wasn't about me, that was easier to take, yes, right? For <laughs> sure. If they're like, Oh, we got to the 2008 version and here comes this, uh, this you know this dude in oh yeah from minnesota who plays you who plays you in the series which actor this is amazing well i don't think i this is the thing i don't think i make the cut because you got to go first you got to get to you know you got to get to uh 
many, many other characters right before you oh, get to stop. me. Oh, stop. Who but plays you in a movie, Mike? I I mean, ideally... <laughs> ideally. Ideally, Zach Morris. You know, that was kind of like my childhood. Saved by the Bill, Zach Morris? Paul. Wow. Yeah, if they could get Mark Paul Gossilo to come in, <laughs> you know, that... He was Zach was always the guy that I looked up to in a lot of ways. Now I'm not saying he was perfect, but you know, and I, I did have the I do have the wave kind of a little bit. I'd have to get it more puffed up, but yeah, that that might be the guy. So Darius, what does it say that Mike had that answer within like three seconds? Oh, man. like it's something he's thought of before. Yeah, Mike has definitely considered this, <laughs> <laughs> and if he has the opportunity to give notes on things, like I'm sure that he's ready to offer some friendly advice. It's like the scroll that unrolls, right? Like, as yeah, long as you're sticking on for- wrestling, who's that? Chris Jericho? Like, nothing too forceful. The list, yeah. But, you know, some strong hints. <laughs> some, um, like, this is how I feel sort of thing. <laughs> so, I want to get back to talking a little bit about this idea of historical fiction versus documentary and reliable and unreliable narrators. Mm. So, sometimes in documentaries... Those things are also historical fiction. And and I'm putting quotes here, oh, yeah. right? Because just because you lived it, not everyone is a is a reliable narrator in these things. And so I'm not saying that this is true mm-hmm. for the Hulu series. I'm sure the Hulu series is fantastic. And again, I'm going to eat this stuff up. But I'm very interested because everyone's view of the past is still put through the prism of their own reality and how they experience things and what their view on on it was. And I'm very interested to see how all of that aligns or does not align with like other reporting or anything else, because I'm often I often tilt my head a little bit when people will say, well, I was there and that's not how it was. It's just like, okay, well, okay. Well, when you tell me how it was, though, is someone else going to be like, well, I was there and that's not how that was. So there's stuff like that where that's why I'm super interested in in not only comparing these shows, but like holding them up. Obviously, winning time is there's a big plastered right on the screen there. Like, look, this isn't all the truth. This is like this is dramatized for for TV and yada, yada, yada. But. But I do know some of that stuff is probably closer to the truth than what some of the people who are being portrayed would want you to believe it actually is. And so there's a lot of that stuff that is super interesting to me. I want to try to keep this thought brief. I think about this sometimes when real serious stuff happens in the world, right? And my job is as a sports reporter or sports journalist. And I'm I'm thinking at certain points, like, man, should I go be covering – you know, war zones and like trying to do yeah. something to make it that trying to expose, mm. you know, a government in a certain foreign country, right. That is, uh, and, and like do some like old school, like muckraking. Like, and then I think, well, no, I, I, there's a, there's a certain, there's a reason why I'm in sports. Right. And there's a reason why, like I, I, I entered it and why I can do some other things behind the scenes, hopefully about real news. But that's, that's not to minimize people that don't love their portrayal in a series that's about sports because it is people's lives and it is my life as well. But that is something that I do think about when watching like a World War II doc, right, versus like a sports documentary. And again, even though those things kind of can shift and it's it's much easier to say when you're not the person who's portray, uh, being portrayed a certain way, um, I do think that there is some levity like when when watching shows about 
certain topics and certain time periods. But I say that very gently and lightly because, again, it, it, my, my own identity and our life is very much wrapped up in what the sports and uh, what sports is. And it says something about that person. It's just it's something that I try to think a little bit about it when watching something that's that is still about a game and an entertainment product, um, even while while not trying to disrespect the fact that Pete, that it really does intertwine lives as well. Very much so. And I think that it speaks to how sports are a platform for that. Um, your compulsion to be like, man, I want to I want to help by being in a more important space. What I view is, is something that's more pertinent, a war zone or somewhere that is that that seems to have a, a greater sense of uh, purpose. And I think that sports are kind of our healthier outlets uh, is one of our healthier outlets for our desire to have conflict with each other. Right. Without the consequences. And sometimes. Exactly. Exactly. So I can I can hate the Celtics and I I sports hate. Right. And it it feels great. I got me an enemy. I know who my like who I want to defeat. It's very simple, animalistic brain. It gets that part out of me in ways that are a lot healthier than than a lot of other human impulses. Right. But and so just like with in a war zone, there are stories, there are heroes that are emerge and there are myths and, and kind of creations of these things that actually happened. But then the 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 time and then the narrators and whether they're reliable or not, it turns into something else. And I think that that's fascinating in and of itself to, to watch. Um, and Kareem was there at the viewing that we, that we did and gave a few words at the beginning and to see him in, as, as an older man and remember him as that guy up there. I was a little kid, but I remembered the actual cream that, that played. And I remember it was great watching the early years. That's what they cover in Legacy, at least the first two episodes, is you start from Dr. Bus buying the team and you cover the first few seasons. And so the cream that I remember as a like six to eight-year-old, five to eight-year-old, was a different cream than the one that they showed in those first few seasons. And I remember him as a guy that he pretty much only scored on hook shots or dump offs, right? Whereas when you watch the 1980 version of him, the MVP version of him, my God, like the, the Anthony Davis comparisons, but even with a little bit more, like, cause he had that go-to move as well, which AD doesn't really have that like, oh, I can score on you anytime that I want with this particular shot that Kareem also had. So talk to me, D, I know this is, Kareem is a guy from a basketball perspective that you've always championed in a way where, talk about the story and the one that continues you always have this like you don't understand how good Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was. I mean, tell me, we've done this a lot. And, and so you can go back and listen to a bunch of different pods or the whole catalog. And anytime Kareem's name comes up, it's like the same thing for me. It is just historically not placed at the level where I where I believe he should be, which is like probably there with Jordan and LeBron and like like that's the tier that Kareem operates on six MVPs, uh, six NBA championships, uh, all time leading scorer. These are Mount Rushmore accomplishments. They are not like, Oh, well, yeah, he's it's LeBron and Mike. And then everyone else like, no, 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 man. You don't understand this dude. And my guy, Nate Jones says this a lot, but Kareem probably had a case of being the best player in the world, the best player in the world from the time that he was 18, 19 years yeah. old, all the way through the time that he was like 35 or so, 
there's a story of him at UCLA where back then yeah. the freshmen could not play in the like official NCAA games. There was a separate freshman team. And the year before UCLA had won the national championship and Kareem was on that freshman team the following year. And they would consistently beat the national champions, the national champions simply because they had a freshman Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or Lou Alcindor at the time. And so Mike Kareem with I don't know, man. Like he's just go, just go back and watch the old tape, man. Like he wasn't this plotting big man who was just like, oh, like last dude up the court, right? Trail man, like, oh, let's wait for Kareem, and then you know we'll dump it to him in the post, and he'll shoot a sky hook, right? Like six seconds left on the shot clock. Like no, man. Like this dude was running the damn floor. He was agile and the way he moved and and just everything and super athletic like there's this picture of him at ucla that is famous where he's like blocking a shot and he's like crouching because his head is about Uh to hit the rim and his hand is like extended almost to the top of the backboard and it's just like who is this dude he was unbelievable well, he was brilliant on top of all of it right like his spatial awareness and his understanding there's a scene in winning time mike that Again, I think that these types of scenes are representations of kind of a bigger idea, but it's halftime of Magic's first game. So that famous game where Kareem hits the game winner and the Lakers are down by four and Kareem is walking out of the tunnel and he's always portrayed as very aloof and surly, right? And so he's walking casually down the hallway and Jack McKinney, the coach of the Lakers, runs up to him like, hey man, we need more from you. We need it to win this game. And Kareem's like, been there, done that. That's very much his attitude. And at the end of this game, I'm going to have 30 points and 10 rebounds. And Cream ends up hitting the game winner. The game's going to slow down. It's going to happen. He hits the game winner. McKinney says, hey, let me see the box score. I'll be damned. He scored 30 points, 10 rebounds. And I think that that spoke... That probably never happened, that actual <laughs> sequence of events, right? If we talk about historical fiction, right? It's just too perfect, just like Dr. Buss and Red Arbach meeting at mid-court of the form. No. But I think it did represent a certain amount of command that Kareem had of that athletic brilliance with mental brilliance, right? And understanding and the ability to synthesize all of these incredible parts into one really incomparable player, man. So, yeah, talk, talk to me of uh, your thoughts on Kareem. Yeah, I think that the way that Darius described Kareem, who where people talk about him, but more as just sort of an inclusion into the GOAT conversation, but they don't really take the time to make the case, right? And and we just spend a lot more time on sort of just the Jordan versus LeBron. And and that's not everybody. Now, I'm a little different here because I've heard Michael Thompson make the case for Kareem a million times. And, and so mm-hmm. he's always, whenever this discussion comes up on the Laker bus, Michael and Stu are there. And so Kareem gets his due. He does. And he gets Good. it anecdotally. Not as much statistically, but like while sometimes they're arguing and while, you know, Michael's arguing with whoever, I might pull up his basketball reference page and be like, oh, wait a second. What did what did he do in 75, 76, 28, <laughs> 17 rebounds, like 16.9 rebounds. He averaged 4.1 blocks. Wait, and five assists? He averaged five assists on top of doing all right. that, like and a steal. Now, they didn't even track turnover numbers uh, at that point, but. Just those type of numbers on, you know, on 51%, he played 42 minutes a game, right? Then you move into the 80s and he's still playing most seasons. He's still playing either 80, 81 or 82 games. And just the productivity, this is where the only other person whose numbers across 
time like this, look like this, is LeBron. And then Kobe, yeah. you know, Kobe a little bit close, although Kobe, of course, post-Achilles, right, was not able to sustain right. the previous prime. But so to be, I think to Darius's point, to be that, to be the best player, right, and recognized as the best player for a period of time, a long period of time, that's that's a lot. Like that's where you get into the, you know, essentially Russell Kareem, then kind of magic jostling with Bird, then Jordan, then Kobe had a little mm-hmm. stretch, I, I thought, before LeBron took over. But a couple of those guys, and it's really, it's like, it's Russell Kareem, and then Jordan, and then LeBron, who, who were able to hold that title for a long time. And that tells us a lot. Like that's, that is the GOAT debate. I would throw Shaq's name in there as well. Like as, as much as... <sighs> This is a whole separate pod. Shaq is the guy when I think about the job we have to do, uh, you know, with this pod and just employed in some respect in covering the Lakers, that our job is to tell it as accurately as we can, make our best effort. And so there's something as time goes further and further on, the more and more I want to be like, you guys don't understand about Shaq, you know, that Shaq was somebody that we don't talk about at that like there's nobody like him he was in in terms of being the best guy in the game for a long period of time i would argue Shaq had like an eight-year stretch where he was the best player in the game and i he was i don't know man Shaq, Shaq. maybe it wasn't that long maybe it was five but still the number of players who were clearly the best dude in the league for five plus years is a very short list and so i just don't feel like shaq's name gets brought up enough in that i'm glad you mentioned that uh, just to throw this back at both of you because you watched his whole career especially in the prime. like would you have him over duncan um for a number of those years like who would be the who would be the guy that he was because of course it was the tail end of jordan right jordan goes out in 98 uh and and then you know lebron enters in 2003 i thought kobe took the reins at a certain point but is there somebody else besides Tim Duncan, Darius, or would you would you give Shaq that stretch like Pete just did? I mean, this is where I'm biased. I'm I'm a Lakers fan. You will get Spurs fans who will tell you that Duncan was better than Shaq and he was better than Kobe. I think that that's wrong on both counts. But it's because I saw those dudes every day and I didn't watch Tim Duncan every day. And I'm sure that if you are a Spurs fan and you're like, I saw this dude every day, like he was the model of consistency and his peaks were quite impressive. Duncan was mm-hmm. an elite player. But if you ask me, in their primes, over the course of like a four or five year prime, who would I want? I would want Shaq. Shaq's teams were at their best, those Lakers teams. And Duncan's teams were at their best, those Spurs teams. Shaq's teams won. A lot of those wins came in close th- close games. You know this situation well, Mike, with your experience in the league. Close game, last five minutes. It's when everybody plays their best basketball. Shaq didn't play his best basketball for 48 minutes. That's something that Tim Duncan was much better at. But I remember multiple playoff games where Duncan could not get a shot off. Like Duncan was somewhat was so fundamental, but he was somewhat mechanical in that when you had a supreme athlete, the a guy the way a guy like Shaq was, the way a guy like Kareem was, as we were just talking. And they're also brilliant. Both Shaq and Cream don't get their just due in terms of their understanding of the game as well. When that guy's locked in, just his height, it, he gets to a higher height than than Tim Duncan ever did. And no, no doubt if about you that. Wanna, yeah, that's a great point. If, yeah. yeah, man. If you want to reward the consistent success over the course of a long period of time, I totally get it. I think it's a valid argument. But there was a long stretch where I think Giannis is kind of touching this this area where it was like, all right, you got to put Shaq to the side. Like Shaq is a Shaq. 
And then we could talk about all the other players in the league in terms of comparing them. But Shaq was just we talk about one of one, like one of the most severe examples of that for a long enough stretch to where I as time goes by, I feel a stronger need to testify on just like how dominant he was. Shaq is the ultimate. You had to be there. And yeah. As we get further and further away from actually being there, there are going to be more and more people who weren't. And they are going to highlight the players that they believe are like, well, I'm here now and these are my dudes and I'm here for these guys. And so I'm going to champion them. And that's the great thing about being a sports fan. And in bringing it back to this idea of winning time as as a show or or the Hulu documentary, this is an opportunity to revisit that. And bring more people into the sphere of like, well, look, like this is what it was. And in the case of historical fiction, you have to take some of that with with a grain of salt. And hopefully it does inspire you to go back and reread and study up on what those teams were actually about and understand that there are some like, okay, well, this is a characterization. They are playing a character and some of these conversations did not happen and and like you can't take it as like oh well we took a time machine and put a camera in the locker room for you like that's not what this is right in terms of winning time but this idea of trying to bring people back and show them this is how good these players actually were that's why i appreciate shows like these and the fact that they're on the team that i like the team that i root for the team that i grew up loving right like that's even better like i said at the beginning this was made for me and i can't wait i really can't since i haven't yeah since i haven't watched the the hulu doc yet pete let me just kick it to you then for a final thought like what what is the do you want to view these things as completely independent pieces of each other? One is an entertainment one as, uh, as you know, as more hearing from the people themselves. Or are there a way are there is there a Venn diagram of stuff that you're already sort of looking at and thinking about them in context for? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked that I, because I think both shows serve a certain purpose. I think winning time from a fan perspective. Again, you were talking earlier about that. Oh, well, when it's not about you, it's very easy to be entertained by it. And I think that they captured what the thrill of being a Laker fan during the eighties and watching those teams and just how like over the top fun and just, just over the top in a broader sense that those teams were that made them so captivating and made them the place that you had to be there. If you didn't go to the game last night, you, you'd start hearing stories like, Oh my God, you should have seen this pass that magic made last night. We didn't have Twitter, right? It was the conversations around the water cooler and, that word of mouth and that buzz. And all of a sudden, like you've really got something special and that was really special. And I thought that they captured that and the, the gist of some of the characters while others like, like the Riley portrayal, just we, we could have a whole side conversation about a couple of the elements of the show, but by and large, I think that they did a good job of capturing that. I was also really proud of when I was watching legacy of, I think they did a good job of portraying what actually happened. We don't look good throughout the whole thing. It's not something where it's this rosy portrayal of everything. But I do think that they did a good job of like, this is what happened. And I think that if you're a Laker fan and that you kind of want to get how 
we got here, I think it's a good vehicle to getting there. So that's out on Monday. I was really just proud of watching it when we watched it the other night. So we will be back on Monday. Everybody have a great weekend. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's in. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Back with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot popping out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.